Hey Changemaker! This episode is released on the International Day to End Obstetric Fistula. In my early 20s, when I did an internship at the Swedish Mission to the United Nations in New York, focusing on social development issues, I learned about obstetric fistula. It is a devastating childbirth injury due to prolonged labor and causes physical, psychological, emotional, and social trauma. The injury is preventable with access to maternal health services, emergency obstetric care, and it is treatable through surgery. Yet the stories that I heard about fistula were, and the women that were traumatized by this childbirth injury were heartbreaking. The injury leaves a woman incontinent, leaking urine or feces, and often shunned from her family and community. The injury occurs during labor, which is often very late in pregnancy, and the woman often loses her baby in the process. Fistula Foundation, a leader in funding the prevention and treatment of obstetric fistula, estimates that at least one million women in Africa and Asia needlessly suffer from untreated fistula. As I continued my early career at UNFPA, the United Nations Population Fund, I had the opportunity to work with fistula surgeons around the world to lead the development of UNFPA's fistula repair kits for surgeons. It is a matter that I cared deeply about and an issue that is still so widely unknown. These surgeons dedicate so much time to serve some of the most resilient women in the world, women who have been outcasts for years. They not only restore bodies, these surgeons, but they restore lives, hope, love. Fistula surgeons also work in remote places to reach women who desperately need their care, and they do so with very little resources. Fistula surgeons are real modern heroes. Fistula Foundation supports these incredible surgeons to do their important work, and you can support them by donating at fistulafoundation.org. As I started Girls Globe as a blog back in 2011, writing about obstetric fistula felt important to me because it was and still is such an underrepresented issue. Many of my friends, family, and even colleagues at the United Nations didn't know about obstetric fistula. And that's a lot because it is an issue that impacts mostly poor, rural women who don't have access to life-saving emergency obstetric care. It's a cause of global injustice and inequity. So as Girls Globe has grown, obstetric fistula remains an issue that's important to me because more people need to know about it. Today, Fistula Foundation is also a member of Girls Globe and have shared several stories that you can read on girlsglobe.org. To honor this day, it is my sincere pleasure to introduce to you my guest today, Dr. Maureen Okango, a fistula surgeon from Kenya. Maureen is a young, vibrant consultant, obstetrician and gynecologist, she is passionate about maternal and newborn care and is not only a new graduate of the Fellowship of Fistula Surgeon Surgery from FIGO, but also an emergency obstetrics and newborn care trainer. 
She is a principal master trainer of integrated antenatal and postnatal care, as well as quality improvement. And she is a Ministry of Health trainer on screening for cervical cancer and precancerous lesions. Maureen has served as a trainer and mentor in the Vihiga County Referral Hospital and the wider Vihiga County, supporting healthcare providers in other health facilities through training, mentorship, and support supervision. Maureen and I talk about her work, and she shares her stories of working with women who've suffered an obstetric fistula. She shares so much hope and inspiration, and I am so incredibly grateful that she shared her time with me and with you. This is my conversation with Dr. Maureen Okango. Thank you so much, Maureen, for joining me today on the Hey Changemaker podcast. It's such a pleasure to have you here. Thank you, Julia. I'm happy to be here. So I want to start off, usually I start off asking our guests uh, a question about a, a story in their life. Um, so was there a point in your life when you knew that you wanted to work with women's health and perhaps gynecology and obstetrics in particular? Yes. Um, when, I was do- when I was in college in the university uh, doing my... Um, undergraduate program we got to it was the first time I was coming to a big hospital referral hospital and I got intrigued and disturbed because first of all I didn't quite understand what fistula was but as I continued with my studies I got to know more about it and um, I was just saddened because it is something that is totally avoidable but the repercussions are so many. So I, I just felt sorry for them. And I wanted to learn more and see how best can we prevent this from even happening? And once it happens, how can we help these women? Because the stories were so hopeless, even suicidal. It was just very, and the, there weren't many doctors available to treat them. Uh, where I went for college, they'd have like an annual camp. So if maybe you live very far and you can't make it for treatment, maybe in 2019, June, you'd have to wait for another 12 months and continue with the agony. It was really, really sad. Yeah. Mm. And you're one of very few trained female fistula surgeons. Um, But as I'm sure many who are listening don't even know what obstetric fistula is. Can you share... um, about a little bit more about what it is and what it means for the women who have suffered from um, obstetric fistula. Yes, uh, for sure. So fistula simply means an abnormal communication between two areas close to each other that should not normally be communicating, but because of one reason or another, they are communicating. Best example is the urine passage and the bath canal. So normally each of them is lined by separate tissues and it should not, they two should not communicate. But like when a woman has obstructed labor, it leads to complications and the wall between them, uh, quote unquote wall, becomes thin, eventually it slows off and now it creates like one passage. 
and now you find someone who is passing urine it's coming in through the birth canal yeah and sometimes it can actually even affect the birth canal and the rectum where the stool is supposed to come out from so when a woman is passing stool it's coming out through the birth canal yeah so and all this the major cause is obstructed labor meaning that this woman is having a difficult labor difficult baby is too big the baby just can't come out however a few of the fistula are caused by other conditions some are caused by cancer if someone has cancer of the rectum this again it can lead to communication between that passage and the birth canal and also a few it's from accident it could be sexual assault it could be falling down um, hitting yourself maybe in a with a sharp object, or uh, sometimes it's also from um, things like female genital mutilation. Yeah, for the communities that practice that. Yeah, but the major mm-hmm. cause is obstetric labor, obstructed yeah. labor. Yeah, yeah. And when I found out about fistula, uh, which was many many years ago, um, it's was something that affected me so much because, as you say, it's treatable. Um, But because of the situation many of these women find themselves in and the the trauma of going through uh, obstructed labor and then oftentimes perhaps also losing your child during childbirth um, and the trauma of that and then the stigma that comes attached to sort of the 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 symptoms of fistula or the the things that come um, because of of fistula of, of leaking urine and and uh, and the smell and you know all those things. So um, can you talk a little bit about sort of the the transformation or the situation for a woman and woman? who has been affected by fistula and the transformation that they can go through, uh, an example of a transformation that a woman can go through once she has been treated um, treated for this. Um, thank you, Julia. So you actually bring out a very important aspect. Huh? Majority of the babies in obstructed labor actually die. In fact, if a woman comes and the baby has survived, maybe it wasn't obstructed labor. But these babies don't make it. They, mm-hmm. they, they lose oxygen. They are not able to be well perfused. So that is one of the losses. One, the mother will lose the baby. Two, she has this condition, ostracized from the community. Mm-hmm. She's not able to attend any. They end up losing their, mm-hmm. breaking up their families because most husbands will walk away. So here she is, She the baby has succumbed, and sometimes it's the first baby. And we do see a number of women who had fistula many years back, and they've not been able to even get pregnant again. Even just getting a partner is an issue. They're not able to work because for them to work, they need to buy diapers, and most of them can't afford that because any informed woman would be able to go to a reputable hospital, even if it's a government hospital, and would be able to ask questions, and especially if the labor is not going normally, an intervention would happen. Intentionally, their level of education is low. They are not aware that uh, these are their rights. They are not empowered. 
Um, these are the societies sometimes maybe men are the ones who decide when they are to go to hospital, when sometimes even just getting a consent because you can be in a health facility and it's already seen, signs of obstruction are seen, but there are women who tell you only maybe you talk to them via the phone, they don't see the need and they tell you and they give the women pressure, like a real woman would deliver vaginally. So these are some of the challenges that these women face. It doesn't end with just having the fistula. It's losing the baby, losing the relationship, um, no means of um, working and earning a living, and just depression. It's just a downward spiral all through until and when they're able to. And right now, there's a lot of publicity. Before then, they didn't know. They didn't know that there is actually treatment available one of the ladies I met, she was in her 60s. She'd had a fistula for 40-something years. She had it when she was around 20, giving birth to her first baby who succumbed and has been living with fistula for 41 years. So when we treated her, it was so, so emotional. And she felt sad that she lost 40 years of her life and she's not even able to try again and become pregnant at this time. So as you mentioned, the repercussions are just way too many yeah and the 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 stories that that I've heard also just um, being in touch with other fistula surgeons and and uh, working with with fistula in a separate way in my previous uh, part of my career um, it's it's been so incredibly tragic and this is one of the things that I feel is often neglected in when we talk about um, women's human rights women's health um, and gender equality I think that this is something that we really need to um, be a part of of advocating more for because it is preventable and and treatable mm -hmm. as you say um, so uh, being a medical professional and a fistula surgeon uh, like you quite literally is being a change maker because you're transforming people's lives you're making it possible for these women to um, to live their lives in dignity and um, you know build back their their own sort of self-esteem and their their own self, mm -hmm. really. Um, and, and you also give back uh, at, to the profession as, as a trainer. Um, can you share a little bit more about the other things that you do? Oh, yeah, thank you. So I work in a county referral hospital. So I have medical officers and medical officer interns who I supervise. We interact with them during ward rounds, uh, clinic, um, when we're in theater, and we do mentorship continuously. Um, sometimes when you're not doing mentorship, um, there are some um, specific uh, trainings that are organized. Some of them are organized by the Ministry of Health. Um, like right now, our country is so keen on preventing cancer of the cervix. So we have been trained on various modes of not just making diagnoses, but even treating. And some of them are readily available even in smaller facilities. So we are called upon to sometimes go to smaller facilities and train the nurses and even clinical officers and the medical officers and in turn, so that if a mother comes and she has um, anything, we do the test. If there's anything suspicious and it's not a big issue, we can treat it there and then. Because again, in our country, we have a problem with follow-up. You can tell someone come back after a month, they just won't come back. So we have the ways we can treat them. 
If it's something extensive, again, there's something we can do for them. So basically, we are just trying to empower the clinicians to be able to treat women mm. promptly without having to wait for long before seeing them. Um, again, sometimes we I take part in the, with the Liverpool School of Tropical Medicine. I am a trained um, advanced obstetric uh, and anesthesia surgical uh, surgery uh, trainer. So we are able to treat postgraduate students, the ones who are doing the MMED, and even consultants on better ways to just uh, do some things like to cesarean sections, uh, even normal deliveries, advanced, just specific um, surgical skills mm. that you feel even consultants mm-hmm. also benefit from. Yeah. So apart from that, we also do several uh, things on quality improvements um, because we learned that uh, it's not enough for you to offer these services. You can offer um, 10 services in your facility, but you're doing them maybe up to 30%. And so you're not achieving much. You're not making an impact. But if you do even three services and each of them you're offering 90% in terms of quality, uh, whether it's medicine, the personnel, everything. So it makes a difference. So we meet the sub-county heads. We take them through this training so that with whatever little resources we have, how best are we optimizing the use? Just as some of the trainings that I take part in in the county at large, yeah. Amazing, yeah. And looking back at your own journey, I mean, you've come very far um, as a medical professional, as a surgeon, as a trainer, um, and leader in this field. Uh, Looking back at your own journey, are there any particular challenges that you've had to overcome um, in this space um, c- coming to where you are today? Um, I'm actually very, very grateful to God for everything. Um, I was born in a, in a very small slum in Nairobi, in the capital city. And I remember um, um, I had many siblings ahead of me. I was the last one. And we followed each other real close, yeah? So many of us, my parents were overwhelmed. And my mother got retrenched when I was in class one, like before I actually really started my education. And uh, my dad also didn't have a very stable job. So primary, it was, luckily primary school was very, it was almost free. It wasn't expensive. So that was not an issue. But I made sure that I worked really hard so that I secure a place in a good national, in a good uh, secondary school. So I moved from Dandora Primary School. Um, I was called to a, a school called Pangani Girls. Right now it's a national school, it's doing really well. And I remember when I was there in Pangani, I felt so out of place because I met children from um, all over. I met children from um, some schools that were private and I just felt like I didn't belong. I actually kept telling my mom, um, to take me to a smaller rural school where I would fit in because this is totally strange to me. But by God's grace, I think God really wanted to make me feel at home and that I belong. The first time, very first exam I took in that school, I became number one. That reassured me. That made me sit back a bit and settle in and like, okay, you know what? You may have come from this place, but you actually do belong. So... I did my high school well. I finished, uh, got good grades, and uh, managed to go to the University of Nairobi. And when I was in high school, again, I had mentioned that we were many siblings 
following each other. It was the norm to find my siblings at home from uh, lacking school fees. But by God's grace, my mom got someone to pay for me um, school fees and I never had to go back home. And I'm very, very grateful. Um, and also after that, I went to the university. And from there, I've just really been focused because of where I come from. And I can attest that um, hard work pays and God is very faithful because the people I was with in primary school, some of them made it, some never made it. So just believing in, if my parents didn't believe in me and take me to school, I'd not be here today doing what I do. So I'm very grateful to my parents as well for just educating the girl child, despite all the challenges that they faced. Yeah. Oh, and you're a testament to what that can what that can become and the impact that it can have on so many people's lives. Yeah, just fantastic to see how you are using that investment to better the lives of others. So circling back to to your sort of perhaps mission to support these these women. Do you feel like it was something in your heart that brought you to um to really give give back because I think that it's it's something that some people perhaps um, wouldn't have have that sort of drive to to see the power within themselves that that you have really used. Um, yeah, can you just talk a little bit about about that mission to support um, women suffering from fistula, for example? Yeah, thank you, Julia. In a tweet. 20, I think 2020, um, in January, I, I, I got a phone call from someone and he told me that um, he, amongst many things that we talked about, he mentioned that Maureen, your calling is in the fistula world because of the compassion that you have. And when he said that, um, he's not even a medic. Like he didn't, he, he was even saying, is there something like fistula? Like he wasn't, it's not like something he knows about. Like, yeah. So I was like, ah, okay, thank you. Thank you for that. By then I had already worked in my, in the university with fistula patients. So at least I knew what fistula was and I had already even finished my, my postgraduate training. So I held on to that word. And uh, I, I can't even explain it. Was it the same year? The next year? In July, I get a phone call from Habiba, one of the Fistula Foundation bosses here in Kenya. And like, hi, um, would you be interested in Fistula? I'm like, this is it. Like, this is what I've been waiting for. Because after I got the word, I didn't know how to proceed. Yeah. Because by then we didn't have these services in our in our county, in our hospital. So when I got this phone call, I knew, I knew that this is what I've been waiting for. I jumped at the opportunity. And uh, I've not looked back. And I'm very happy to be here to work with these women. They really do change our lives. Um, just last week, I met a 10-year-old uh, with a rectal vaginal fistula. She's passing school through her birth canal. And um, it's from an assault from a cousin. And it just really pains me. And um, I think the worst part, this, this girl, of course, is terrified. We'll be seeing her tomorrow, hopefully operate on her on Wednesday. And she was brought in by the dad. And I think one of the things that made me really sad is how the dad, um, um, the family basically, you know, it's, it's by a cousin. So they're not so keen on prosecuting. They sort of want to 
deal with it in house mm. and i just told the dad like this boy will do it again to someone else so this is what we are facing mm-hmm. that we are getting young girls assaulted they end up with these complications and the family is not willing to do so much for them and it really really pains us and um we will try our best to see how we can help the girl even mitigate um mm-hmm. whether they want legal action whether they want us to testify but we just really do our best so i feel very compassionate with these women and i I'm, i'm very saddened by their situation but more importantly i get encouraged if you're able to at least alleviate one of the aspects of their suffering even if it's just to restore dignity as we work on the emotional parts mm. later on mm. yeah. for others who are perhaps considering working in the field of women's health um do you have any advice for someone who's embarking on a journey as a medical professional yes um this field requires patience um even learn it's a learning curve the hope that comes with restoring this women's dignity is way way worth it and i hearing from several colleagues who've gone ahead of me how many people have been trained specifically in this fistula field but for one reason or another they abandon ship at some point but um i have also managed to talk to those ones who've been here for the long haul experts in the field and they have really encouraged me that along the way it is so worth it so i want to encourage anyone who wants to join this field it's a very satisfying field and this field may not have much to give you in terms of financially but they will really make you feel worthwhile like they they're so grateful and they are very they're just very special women to interact with i even lack words to describe them and um most of them i i compensate what you've done is a way god takes care of you yeah and you will never lack so these women let's not ignore them they are very much a part of our society and someone needs to fight for them and that's why i'm very grateful to even fistula foundation for the much they are doing for them the the fundraising the donations and for organizing such platforms like this one so that the whole world can get to know more about these women and their plight and how they can just help yeah yeah i love that you touch upon upon the hope that that keeps you going um i know however that you know you volunteer you train others you consult you um you do quite strenuous and hard work um it is and it does require a lot of patience as you say and and at the same time you're also dealing with you know family family members as you mentioned that um and really difficult cases that are really heart-wrenching and and traumatic dealing with other people's trauma is also um you know mm-hmm. it takes its toll so how do you find time and how do you care for yourself that's very important um i do take some time off when i feel overwhelmed um like maybe for one reason or another the good thing is we are two consultants in my facility so we balance the work very well and he's a very understanding colleague so we've not it's very rare to feel overwhelmed because of the work because we are two we share if for one reason or another i'm not able to cover this 
is able to cover me. And um, in some hospitals, you find that uh, when there are two or three consultants in my country, one works this week, mm-hmm. the other one next week, but we don't do that. We work together. We come for the ward round together. And sometimes if there are many patients, he takes one side, I take the other side. So you find at the end of the day, your burden is lightened on a daily basis. Yeah. If it's surgeries, I'm on one theater, he's in the other. If it's clinic, the same. So that makes work very bearable. Yeah. Um, however, if I get overwhelmed, I take some time off. Um, and I just spend time with the kids and my husband. Um, um, sometimes even on a, I go for holiday uh, at least once a year, uh, whether it's at the mm-hmm. coast to the family and just, you know, to unwind. And sometimes it doesn't have to be to go somewhere. If you just need that day or two, I just stay home and, you know, unwind and then go back to work refreshed. Yeah. And I read a lot. This also helps to keep me distracted. Yeah. And sometimes swimming also helps. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Sounds amazing. And and you really touched upon sort of the hope that these women give you. Uh, do you just want to end with with a message for our listeners, a message of hope um, to, to share with other changemakers who perhaps are seeing things, um, seeing how difficult things are and sort of the the struggles that so many people are are facing across the world. Um, do you just want to share a, a message of hope? Yes, I do. Um, when I joined this field, I came to learn that there are women who have really suffered. There are women who actually undergo even five operations and they're still not continent. They're still leaking urine. And eventually some of them have to undergo a life changing operation, meaning you totally close down their urinary diversion. You close, they're not, they, will not, they will never go to the toilet to urinate normally. You just divert the urine to come out through the skin. So they'll be inserting the catheter to empty the bladder every so often, every day. Now this is their life. And when I describe it to you, you can already see how complicated it sounds. And some of these operations are done to young girls. The youngest I have seen is 17 years old. You can imagine 17, you are the rest of your life, you're never going to pee normally and you have to have this tube that you're inserting every so often. And as gross as it sounds, When you meet these women who've undergone this operation successfully and the gratitude that they have and the joy that they have that they're now finally dry and they can sit in a vehicle and travel many miles. There's one who came from Uganda to Kenya. Just the fact that she could walk without diapers on. And these women are so happy. They make you feel bad for whatever else is making you have a bad day. Because these women have seen it all, but they're content, they're happy, and they're so grateful. So it just grounds you and makes you even uh, apologize to God for complaining for, you know, delayed salary or whatever, a headache that you're having or, I don't know, um, acne that's bothering you. So there is hope. There is hope for these women. 
And um, I'm just very grateful to all the partners, all the donors. The work you're doing is so, so amazing. Sometimes I wish you could even take a video of all these women, but you're changing lives in very many big ways and continue what you're doing. And there is hope. Even if it's someone out there who has a fistula, please don't lose hope. Even if you've undergone 10 or even 15 surgeries, eh? please don't lose hope. There's help out there. Mm. Thank you. Mm. Oh, thank you so much, Maureen. Thank you for participating. Thank you for sharing this hope and and your story, uh, which inspires me and inspires so many others. I'm so, so incredibly grateful that you took the time to speak to me and that we can share this with with uh, change makers around the world to inspire them um, in in the the fight against obstetric fistula and for the dignity of, of women and girls everywhere. Thank you, Julia. I'm, I'm happy to be here and uh, we can do this again. God willing, thank you for the platform. I, I really appreciate and I don't take it for granted. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this conversation with Dr. Maureen Okango. Obstetric fistula has been almost eradicated from high-income nations because the vast majority of the population in those countries have access to regular maternal health care during pregnancy and emergency and planned C-sections. It is an injustice that remains and affects poor rural women in sub-Saharan Africa and Asia. These women don't have access to products or services to manage their complications, and many don't even have, know that there is a cure, surgery. Fistula Foundation works with surgeons and partners in 20 countries across Africa and Asia to provide life-changing surgery to these women. Find out more about Fistula, the work involved to end Fistula, and con please consider supporting Fistula Foundation at fistulafoundation.org. Maureen encourages me so much with the hope that she shares. She is such a light. And it is really an immense pleasure producing this podcast for you. Uh, if you enjoy these conversations, please, please, please subscribe to the podcast in your favorite podcast app. This really helps more than you know. And please share this episode with a friend, a colleague, or social network so that more people can be inspired and motivated as change makers. You can find more information about the podcast, nominate a change maker, and subscribe via email at girlsglobe.org changemaker. Thank you so much for being here. Until next Tuesday, take care, change maker.